Welcome to Deep Drinks Podcast, where the drinks are deep and the conversations are deeper. Imagine for a second that you spent your entire life within a cult. Entire sections of your school textbooks were erased, no sex education at all. Imagine not knowing where babies come from until weeks before your marriage. Imagine your mother cutting ties with you for the sin, small enough, so small of wearing pants. Today, my guest is Faye, who grew up in these exact same circumstances and has graciously accepted an invitation to share her story with us today. Before we start, a note on anti-Semitism. So with Kanye West being going full-blown silly and people like Marjorie Taylor Greene believing in Jewish space lasers popping up all over the internet, we have a strong rule against anti-Semitism. If you post anything that could be anti-Semitic, you'll be banned immediately. We want to make it also clear, Faye and I both want to make it clear that although we are discussing Hasidic Judaism in its cult form, we are not talking about Jews in general. So with that said, I'd like to welcome our gracious guest, Faye. Thanks for coming on. Hey, how are you? <laughs> good. How are you doing? Very good. As you may know, you do know, we we just had a baby. That's been a wild ride. I was up at 5 a.m. feeding, so oh that was good. <laughs> oh my God, so, I can't imagine. And now you're up doing this. It's well, fine. When is it there? <laughs> so right now, I was just going to say that right now it's 10.30 a.m., which is which is always a good time to drink in Australia because in Australia, it's socially acceptable to day drink. And you've chosen a really fun drink today. So what are we drinking, Faye? Oh, we are drinking a margarita. It's my favorite, no matter what. <laughs> always go towards tequila because that's that just does yeah. the trick. And you never, so I'm going to pour mine now just as we're talking, but you, you, did you grow up without, you couldn't have any alcohol in your cult, hey, with that, my... So we were able to have alcohol. A lot is actually centered around alcohol. There are certain holidays, Purim, which is compared to Halloween, it's actually a rule that you're supposed to get it super drunk and not know the difference between right and wrong. As kids, we couldn't get drunk, but also Passover, <laughs> you're supposed to drink four cups of wine, which we did drink wine. So it definitely, the whole religion just centers okay. around wine and food. That's actually amazing because you, and then in, in the next, and then you're not allowed to wear pants as a female. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is, I know absolutely <laughs> right. nothing about Hasidic Judaism. I don't really know much about Judaism, actually. So yeah. I'm hoping that you can give us a bit of a crash course in your story and what it even is. Yeah, it's funny. I never even thought about the irony of the fact that we're supposed to get drunk but then we can't wear pants and we can't show our collarbone, but being drunk is like a commandment. So that's interesting. I've never thought of that irony right there. But yeah, so Judaism is a religion and then Hasidic Judaism is a small extremist group within the religion. It's mm -hmm. based a lot on mysticism, what people call Kabbalah, a whole lot of mystic spiritual ideas. And everything you do is supposed to be done in a very specific way. Even getting dressed, when you take off clothes, you're supposed to take off your left arm first, then your right arm. And then when you're putting on clothes, you put on your right arm first and then your left arm because the right arm is holier. So it shouldn't be uncovered for a long amount of time. And the order you cut your nails in, you have to do every third nail, one, three, five, and then two, then four, and then flush the nail clippings in the garbage because if a pregnant person steps on it, she'll have a miscarriage. And 
everything was revolving around these superstitions. And if you didn't do it perfectly, then something bad would happen. And then it'll be your fault because that bad thing happens. That's amazing. I did save this for, maybe we can touch on this just quickly. What's the difference between Judaism and Hasidic Judaism? Okay, so Judaism is a religion. I like to compare it to Christianity, where Christianity is a religion with a whole bunch of denominations, and Judaism is the same thing. It's a religion, a whole bunch of different denominations, conservative, reform, orthodox, ultra-orthodox. And then within, there's also Hasidic. Hasidic is a small extremist group. There are multiple groups, multiple Hasidic groups, but they're small extremist groups that function as a cult. Like Mormons, Mennonites, Jehovah Witnesses, they function as cults, but they don't represent Christianity. So that's mm. the same thing. They are within the umbrella of Judaism under the religion, but they're small extremist groups that function oh, okay. very differently. Okay, interesting. Interesting. So maybe we can so how did you get involved in this cult like you grew up your whole life in this cult pretty much lead yeah us through your so story. i grew up what lead us through your story tell us about your oh, journey. Okay. bring us back to bring so, us back to little Faye. oh my so i grew up in this cult my mom actually married into it and what's interesting is she ended up becoming really extreme, but at the beginning, she wasn't. She refused to, there is a thing within Hasidic groups that when you get married, you're supposed to shave your head and you're supposed to cover your hair like with a turban, but then around your husband, wear a wig because a wig is, can be provocative. But she refused to shave her head and that caused some friction between her and my grandmother, her mother-in-law, but then she ended up becoming way more extreme growing up we uh, had to wear pretty much only black colors no nail polish anything like that we had to always have our legs covered with black tights or we can have nude stockings new tights but it had to be a certain amount of denier so it looks it doesn't look as though your feet are bare you also had to have for girls at least you had to have wear skirts covering four inches below your knee in any position, sitting or standing. So it had to be six to eight inches below your knee. You had to cover your elbows, color your, cover your collarbone. Let me think, going to school, that was a whole different story. We were barely taught any secular studies. From first grade, we were in school from 9 a.m. till 4 p.m. And we only learned secular studies maybe two, three hours of the day. And even then, there was very little secular studies taught. Most of our books, like even grammar books, would sometimes have the pictures of the girls or boys blacked out in them, even though we were girls. They would have pictures of the girls or boys blacked out in them. Science books would have certain concepts blacked out. We were very behind everything. Like I remember when we took state tests, our teachers would stay in the room and tell us what to write for the answer. So it looked as though we were on a higher level than we were actually at. Um, wow. I went to an, yeah, it was very different. We were also taught like a bunch of terrifying things, which were meant to keep us from integrating and communicating with people on the outside. We were taught that the reason, if we pass somebody not Jewish on the street and they don't kill us, it's not because they don't want to, but it's because they're either afraid of going to prison or they're too lazy to do that. So we were very much taught to fear everyone on the outside and just be thankful when they didn't attack us 
And then whenever something anti-Semitic would happen, it would just instill that deeper. And we'd be like, see, this is why we have to fear everybody. This is why we stay so close knit and we don't communicate with anyone on the outside. Um, We were, yeah. So were you guys like, so do you mind describing, you don't have to say where you grew up, but do you mind describing Mm -hmm. like the kind of setting? Was it like a city or was it like a rural or was it? Oh, it was in Brooklyn. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. Okay. There's a large Jewish neighborhood there. We were actually the first Jews on the block, but soon after we moved in, a ton of other Jews started moving there. And the entire area was Jewish. We did have two non-Jewish neighbors, which we would only speak to once in a while, not really, only when we needed help with something on the Sabbath. But everybody around us was Jewish, and we would know only, like, walking in the street only to trust Jews and Jews also because they don't dress when I'm talking about Jews I'm also only talking about the community I grew up in but because they don't trust anyone on the outside we they set up like a community watch on steroids they have their own police cars their own radios they usually come faster than police they have their own ambulances everything like that so they would always really? be patrolling and always watching, yeah, for everything. So we knew that we felt safe, but we also had to be watchful about who we spoke to and we couldn't talk to anyone who wasn't within our community or weren't people who dressed exactly like us. Wow. So, someone in the comments mentioned that it sounds like a documentary on Netflix. <laughs> mm. Is that One is of that us. True? There okay, is a yeah. documentary. Yeah, there is a documentary of on Netflix called One of Us. It is about people leaving very similar communities to other Hasidic groups, but still Hasidic communities. And I would say that documentary is on point. It is exactly what it's like to leave there. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I'll have to I haven't watched that. I'll have to check it out. D also said that they've been following the Yeshiva legal issues and they have a lot of questions. I don't know what that means. Yeah, so there is an issue, like I mentioned before, with our secular studies, they wouldn't be up to par, up to what they're supposed to be, especially in New York. So there is an issue, people are trying to cut funding for these Jewish schools that aren't supplying that education, unless they actually educate their children. But then the Jewish people are saying that's a violation of their religion, of their religious freedom. So they don't want to they don't want to provide that secular education. It's actually, it's so interesting how the same issue with Muslim schools and Christian schools, like they don't want to teach. No. I know that a lot of Christian schools, I can't speak a lot for Muslim schools, but for Christian schools, they don't want to mm-hmm. teach evolution or Big Bang cosmology, things like that. I imagine that it's even more strict in Hasidic Jewish schools. So you oh, probably yeah. didn't learn about uh, evolution or Big Bang. Did you learn like... No. What are some things that you would expect to, like we would expect you to learn, but you didn't learn? So it's hard to know because I only started learning things after I left. But I know, let's say when we were learning biology in ninth grade, now I went to an Orthodox high school, which was a culture shock because it's out of the Hasidic community. So Mm -hmm. it was a culture shock because there they did have access to the internet. They were allowed to listen to non-Jewish music. They were allowed to watch non-Jewish movies and things like that. But even there, and they did teach us more. We had closer to four or five hours of secular education. 
So they did teach us a lot more there, but even their simple biology, ninth grade biology, she basically told us, read the chapter. I'm not teaching it to you, read the chapter when it came to reproduction and stuff like that. So we did have access to the information, but they wouldn't teach it to us. We would have to study it for the state tests, but they wouldn't mm. teach it to us. Yeah. And it was, I do remember after we read the chapter, one girl raised her hand, this was in ninth grade. And she said, so how does the sperm get to the egg? And she was very serious, did not know how that happened. And a lot of people don't know how that happens until they get married. Yeah, that must be a shock. I know a lot of, I know a lot of Mormon families. I think it is when they like, when they first learned to like about how to have sex, they, it's like, it's a disaster in the bedroom essentially, because they're like, they, we had Alyssa Whitbeck Alexander on and she was talking about how like she essentially like on her honeymoon she was talking about she was like googling like spousal rape because she didn't understand like her husband didn't understand consent and it wasn't like he was like a bad person he just didn't understand anything to do with like consent how to have sex properly things like that it's it could be really damaging not to learn those things yeah it sure. definitely is and I know many people have that issue and even while I was growing up so in Brooklyn, there is a Jewish hotel where many couples stay at the night after their wedding. And there have been, I remember while I was growing up, at least three times where women ended up jumping. Sorry, I'm trying to say the appropriate words. Ended up jumping the night of their wedding because it was so traumatic for them. So they go from not knowing anything, not being able to be in the same room with a male they're not related to not being able to touch a male they're not related to to suddenly having to be the most vulnerable with them overnight and they don't even learn that they're going to have to be that vulnerable until maybe the week before their wedding because they take bride and groom classes the week before the wedding that teaches them what sex is. so they don't know this before and they basically have to learn it right then and it can be very traumatizing i'm so happy i didn't have to go through that because i can't mm. imagine how traumatizing that is so they would stay in this hotel and they would like jump they would kill themselves would they like end their lives wow yeah That's, yeah the night after horrible. their wedding it yeah it happened at least three times that i remember growing up while living in brooklyn so within maybe a five-year span it happened three times that i know about wow which yeah so growing up in this community this it must have been it must have been all you kind of ever knew how did you start to when did you start to consider the idea that there might be something outside of this cult so it's funny because i when thinking about that question i always thought it was later on but my sister reminded me, my sister left a couple of years after me, but she reminded me of times that we would go outside and we would, there was a hardware store net around the block from our house and they were connected to a DVD store. And back then, not every store had a was able to run credit cards. So the dvd store ran their credit card through the hardware store so we would sneak off to the dvd store use our mom's credit card and buy hannah montana dvds mary kate and ashley dvds watch them in secret and then crack them and throw them and throw the pieces into different garbages so we kind of had an idea that there that. were other things out there that even your yeah. disposal of the DVDs is like ritualistic. You crack it, you put it in different bits. It's like <laughs> even this, it's even a little superstitious as well. That's amazing. 
Oh, we were terrified of our parents finding out. We were terrified of that. So we would always very be careful. They were out of the house when we were watching them. They were always, we were always very careful that they would never, ever catch us. So we had an idea that there was stuff out there. But when I went, so when I was in the sixth grade, I was in the Hasidic school. My parents got divorced. The school wanted to kick me out right away because our family no longer fits the kind of family that they wanted in their family. They only wanted the perfect family, married, lots of kids type of thing. So because my parents got divorced, they wanted to kick me out right away. My mom convinced them to let me graduate there. And then I went to an Orthodox high school because Hasidic high schools would not accept me because my parents were divorced. So I went mm -hmm. to an Orthodox high school. That was a huge culture shock because I was years behind everyone else in my secular education. They allowed and required us to have internet for some of the classes. And my friends were listening to non-Jewish music, watching non-Jewish movies. And like, I remember the first time I watched, what was it, the high school musical? I was just like blown away. So we did, that was like the first time I really saw the other side, but my mom would still very much track our internet usage. She had this program that would send her an email every 30 minutes of every keystroke that happened on the computer. So if I was like, writing a Microsoft Word document, she would get the entire essay sent to her. Yeah. So when I was 16, I snuck out and bought an iPod Touch and I was able to easily figure out the internet password because she was not so technologically advanced. It was the same password that was on the router. And I started researching stuff. And that's really when I started noticing the outside world and realizing how many different religions, viewpoints, people were out there in the world and it was nothing like I was used to. Yeah, I. it's funny how much, how much, I think it's every religion, they're really afraid of, of knowledge. Like they're really afraid of looking out there for different perspectives. I remember think. I remember someone telling me, because for the audience that don't maybe know me, I used to be a Pentecostal youth pastor, the speaking in tongues, mm -hmm. laying on of hands type, a uh, fun type. But but now I no, I no longer am convinced of the existence of God. So I went through a big journey. But for me, there, there was moments where it was really frowned upon. It was almost seen as it could be quote unquote demonic for me to look into, I don't know, secular science or evolution or things like that. Because the the enemy, as it were called, Satan, was trying to control, was trying to win the war for my soul kind of thing so it's amazing where and i think for me it came to i came to the realization that the best way to come to a good understanding of the world is to make educated guesses not to rely on emotions or faith and things like that but to not educated guesses sorry educated decisions thought out decisions mental decisions where you really think about it and you weigh up the evidence and i realized that knowledge isn't a bad thing that you can look for look at things and look for at knowledge and look at the world and information can't hurt you it just gives you more information right so when you got right. the ipod it, oh, uh -huh. sorry go, go, no I was, gonna I was gonna just agree with you it's funny because everybody that i spoke to that has been in these high demand religions or cults they try to if sometimes they do allow you to have access to the internet and they do allow you to research things, but anytime you have questions, they'll twist the information that you got and make it sound demonic or make it sound wrong. And like, it's trying to influence you in that way. And that kind of gives more reason for them to control you and say, 
this is why we don't go to the outside because they give you these kind of ideas and they use mm. you as a not role model the opposite of role model as an example for everyone else this is what happens when you go out and learn other things you become like this i remember yeah. i think I remember being told as a kid that i said what is what's evolution it's and then it was told I was told, I'm not sure, someone at church maybe or someone, but they said, it's a story people made up because they didn't want to believe in Jesus because they love their sin. And I was like, okay, that was what, that's the, that was the, <laughs> that that's as sense. far as, yeah, yeah, that's as far as I've yeah. So I do want to talk to you about Christianity and Judaism at one stage, but I do want to, I want to first learn more about your story. So you get this iPod. Do you remember, do you remember any shocks of like when you were first, first Googling things or when you're first learning about things? Uh do you remember the first time yeah, like, you may have thought... been like porn and you would have been like, oh my God, what is this? And ah! <laughs> yeah, no, I don't want to yeah. talk about that. Okay. But uh, first, when it comes to religion, I thought there were only three religions in the world. To find out that there are over 4,000, it just blew my mind because I was like, what are the chances I'm born into the one right one that doesn't make sense to me? And that's kind of, that's what completely shattered everything for me, finding out how many religions there were in the world. But yes, the porn thing, the speaking, oh God, at that point, I was 16. I was pretending to be 19 for a while to talk to people. I made some bad <laughs> decisions. It wasn't the best time, not the proudest time, but there was definitely a lot of shocks. And I remember this is fast forwarding a while, mm. but the first time I actually met up with somebody to, with the purpose of I'm going to have sex, I'm going to lose my virginity. Yeah. I'm going to have sex. I had no idea. I was never educated on safety. So I met up with a stranger in a motel room, didn't use protection, anything like that. I'm glad I didn't get anything. But I remember the first second, like when something was going to happen, we were standing face to face. He was like a little bit taller. He bent down to kiss me and I just gave him the top of my head. And the entire time I was just covering my eyes like this. And it was oh, like the most mortifying wow. experience. <laughs> yeah. And I realized oh. after, like, I never thought about, hey, pregnancy, STDs, any of that. That was never even yeah. a thought in my mind because I didn't know that it was a thing. I didn't know that. Yeah. I guess I kind of knew that that's how you get pregnant, but I didn't really know. Yeah. That was definitely a big one. You don't really consider it. It becomes like a, like a, it becomes like something that you never consider for yourself because that's what the, that's what other people go through, not you. And I, yeah, it's, it's right. amazing. I have some doozies. We were never educated on it. Like. The only way I knew about it really was from movies and stuff. So I never really thought about it in real life. Sorry, I'm pouring myself a bit more margarita. Yeah. But okay. I never really okay. thought about it in real life. That was different because, yeah, I never thought it would affect me. Later, thankfully, I did learn a bit more and realized that it could happen to me. And it's yeah. not just a movie idea. But yeah, definitely. But going so, back to, oh, so when I was 16, when I had the iPod, at some point, my mom caught me with it. And I decided I wanted to tell her that I was going to leave, that at that point, I had already made my decision that I was going to leave. And she, oh, this goes into a whole nother thing. But when I originally had the, I want, I told her that I wanted to speak to her with someone else present, the first thing she goes is, are you gay? And I am queer, but okay. that yeah. was around the age I first started noticing and my heart sank. 
And I still struggle with internalized homophobia from that because that's like the worst thing for me that I could go into later. But that was like a whole nother obstacle that I'm still actually struggling with because I am queer and yeah, it was a whole nother thing. But when I told her, she first cried everything and I told her I wanted to leave but I wanted to maintain a relationship with her and especially my younger sister. Cause at that point, my younger sister was four years old and I want really wanted to maintain a relationship with them. And I knew it wasn't done. I knew people did not leave and maintain a relationship with their family, but I wanted to leave in the most respectful way possible. So I told her, I'll take any steps that you want me to take in order to keep that relationship with you. She came back to me and had, a few steps. I had to finish out high school in the Orthodox high school. I had to go to Israel and study in a seminary at a school of her choice, like an ultra religious school. And after I came back from seminary, I had to get a job at a Jewish place. And all the while, while I was living in her house, I had to follow her rules under her roof. So I did all of that. Went, went to, to Israel. Israel. Wow. Yes. Yeah. I studied there for a year. We had like, there was even stricter. Like we had something called kosher phones, which is like a Nokia phone. It's not even a flip phone. It's a Nokia phone and it has the camera dug out of it. So you can't take pictures and it only doesn't have texting. It only has phone calls on it. So you can only make phone calls on the phone. You can't even take a picture of anything. We weren't allowed access to the internet the entire year we were there. Anything like yeah. that at all. I've I've seen, I think it was on the Richard Dawkins documentary where someone in Israel was, in, uh, uh, someone, a Jewish person in Israel was creating a phone that was constantly trying to dial every single number. And he could pull out certain pins that would make that number like work. So it wasn't, you weren't pressing the button, you were stopping that button from being blocked and for some reason in their form of judaism that meant that you could make a call on the sabbath because obviously you can't make calls on the sabbath i don't know if it I've, ever got anywhere yeah, yeah i've never heard of that i have never heard of that i never heard of that being a thing at all i do find it interesting i wonder what the deal i'm probably going to research that because so there are some loopholes on the Sabbath. You can't do anything besides eat and sleep really at all. I do apologize for the whining sound, but you can't do anything besides for eat and sleep. You can't even carry something outside. Like if it's raining, you especially can't open an umbrella, but even if the, is even if an umbrella is already open, yes, I'm just going to let my dog out of his crate for yeah, like one okay. second. I do apologize. No, that's fine. I've got yeah. a doggo too. It's a bit annoying sometimes. But just so everyone knows, like something I learned on Faye's TikTok, which everyone should go check out, is that, yeah, you couldn't open an umbrella. So if it's snowing or raining and it's on the Sabbath, you can't open an umbrella. That's like, no, you can't do that. And then even, yeah. and then someone commented and said, can you open the umbrella on, say, the day before the Sabbath? and then carried around on the sabbath and then in hasidic judaism yeah. that may that, correct me if I'm wrong that could have been okay in normal judaism but hasidic judaism you couldn't look as if you had done a sin or something on yeah wow so there are actually two reasons why you can't do that so one is the fact that it can't look as if you did something wrong so if you have an umbrella that's open 
people might assume that you open the umbrella on the Sabbath. So you can't do that. And the second reason is you can't carry anything from private property to public property. So you can't carry anything, even if it's a key from inside your house to outside your house. Now there is a loophole that people use, which is they run a fishing wire around the entire city that they're living in. And really the fishing wire creates a private property. So the entire city of Brooklyn, if you do look up, there is a fishing wire around the entire city of Brooklyn connected to the telephone wires. And they definitely carry outside. Some people believe in that loophole. Some people don't. So you can carry in that case, you'd be able to carry, but it can't look you not an umbrella because it can't look as if you opened an umbrella on the Sabbath. Something I would have said as a Christian is, as a Pentecostal Christian is, this is religion. Religion, religion is poisonous and it's defeating the whole purpose of the Sabbath. God created the Sabbath as a day of rest and you're making it more effort to just have a day of Sabbath than, and uh, yeah, it's just, it's interting that I never would have expected in somewhere in New York, is it New York, right? I'm, geez, I'm silly. Yes. Oh yeah. You'd have that. That's wild to me. That's super wild. Oh, it's, it's a lot. And it's also, I'm trying to think of anything else. You basically can't do anything besides for eat and sleep. You can't cook. So everything has to be cooked before you can't, like even you can warm things up if there's like a layering so you're not cooking so it's not on top of the flame we have something called a blech but when i say it out loud in english it sounds like blech but that's exactly what it's called it's like a warmer which you can like put stuff on so it stays warm or it gets warm but it can't be hot enough so it would cook something so you have to already have cooked everything before the sabbath for the entire time what if yeah it does it what about say if you someone has a heart attack and they need to like get to a hospital is are there oh, like so when it, yeah when it comes to saving someone's life you definitely can do pretty much anything to save someone's life so you can like i mentioned the community watch on steroids there's also ambulance on steroids they're called hatsala which is emts that are basically i remember there were at least four or five neighbors that were emts And if anything happened, like I remember one time I was carrying out, I was bringing something to the living room in my house and I got cut and I needed stitches. Within seconds, four of my neighbors were there and we were able to, you are allowed to drive to the hospital or anything like that. Driving back is an issue. So we did have to walk back. But if there's an issue, you can definitely drive there and do anything to save a life. Wow. I wonder if you could, if there's a market for umbrellas that say, I opened this yesterday. If it was written on there. In both like English and Hebrew. I wonder if that would get past that first rule. (laughs) We got a business opportunity. Let's go into business together. (laughs) Let me think. They do have some other things that weren't allowed and now are allowed. Like because of that whole idea, it's called Maris Ayan, where something looks wrong, but it's really okay. Like people used to not be able to put non-dairy creamer in their coffee if they had meat because you can't eat milk and meat together. But now because non-dairy creamer is more common, you can put it in your coffee and you're supposed to, if you have guests over, you're supposed to bring the carton of non-dairy creamer out onto the mm. table so people can see it's non-dairy creamer. But I do wonder if that, 
if somebody does make it and it does say, I do wonder if that would be allowed. <laughs> That's a good question. Um, you completed this this seminary over in Israel. You came back. What happened then when you came back? Okay, so I came back and right away I wanted to move out. I want started looking for an apartment, and my mom asked me to stay she actually bought a 96 bmw oh i remember this you had to hold the door closed while driving there was an, a leak in the oil tank and the place where you use antifreeze so every morning you had to refill oil and antifreeze and hold the door shut as you were driving but it was a car and she said i'll give you this car if you stay in my house because she knew in her house i had already agreed to following her rules yeah. And that was the most important thing. So uh, what's it called again? I agreed to it. But at that point, I had already been living alive for three years. So at that point, I said, okay, but outside of the house, I'm, I'm going to do my own thing. So I was wearing pants outside of my house and stuff like that. My sister told me that she used to sneak into my room and throw out any jeans or any shirts or anything that wasn't modest. She used to throw it out. And I wondered, I always thought they went missing in the laundry, but that makes sense now. But one day, a couple of months later, after we had already made this decision, I was walking home from the gym wearing pants and she was driving home and we passed by each other in the street. That was the first time she's ever seen me in pants in public. And she freaked out and gave me 48 hours to move out of the house. So I was, I was freaking out because all of my money was going towards car insurance, paying for the oil, paying for the antifreeze. And I had almost no money for an apartment. So I somehow, I don't even know how found first. My plan was to live on the street buy get a membership to planet fitness and go there to shower till I can stay till I can save up because I did have a job. Till I can save up to get an apartment. But somehow I found an apartment. They were, they needed a roommate right then. It was a shared apartment, three people. They needed a roommate fast and they didn't require security deposit. And they were $550 a month. It was like a four by four room. At first I slept on the floor until I was able to afford a mattress. It was only a twin size mattress. I think I have a picture of it somewhere on my page but it was a tiny place and I was fine. I was able to afford it. And it was in Brooklyn, which was close to my job. So I ended up moving there and I lived there for a while, but right away I got, I wasn't even focusing because overnight I lost all of my friends besides for one from high school. She's amazing. She's still my best friend. But I lost all of my friends, my all my family, everything overnight. My entire support system pretty much was gone in an instant. And right away, though, I wasn't focusing on that. I needed money. So I got three jobs and was just working about 18, 20 hours a day. and was just trying to save up as much money as I could. Finally, I did cut it down to two jobs because I was looking to go into college to start going to college. And in the end, I started dating someone. Now, right away, I got hooked onto that person because they were my new support system and they had a family that they were close to. So that was my new support system. That was my entire world because I didn't know how to 
create a healthy relationship and how to manage that. So I started dating him and then we were going to move in together a couple of months later. Now I decided to tell my mother because I'm still trying to maintain a relationship. I really want my younger sister still in there and I really wanted a relationship with her. And at that point I still wanted a relationship with my mother. So I told my mom, I wanted to speak to her. She told me she would not have a conversation with me unless it was with a rabbi. So we went to a rabbi in Brooklyn. We sat down together. I told her I was dating someone. We were moving in together. She broke down, begged him to sit Shiva, which is the process of mourning someone's death, which isn't really done much anymore within the Jewish community. It used to be done when somebody would marry outside the religion, but now it isn't done anymore. So it's done by certain communities, but not by the community we were in. So he told her no. However, I found out like about two months later, she ended up doing it anyway, because in her mind, when it comes to religion is so important, it's better to have a dead child than a child who's not religious and a child who's going to raise kids that's not religious. So that was so, more important to her. So she essentially mourned your death, even uh -huh. though you were alive. Like, she, like you, would, you became dead to her. Yeah. Is that and it's like a is it like a ceremony or is it like a yeah it's like a couple of days so when apparently when the kid is still usually when somebody dies you mourn for seven days you don't shower you sit on short chairs you tear your clothes and other things like that however she only did it for three days but she tore her clothes sat on short chairs didn't shower covered all the mirrors and stuff like that. It is a process called sitting Shiva where you're supposed to mourn that person's death. So yeah, she did it even though I was, um, I think I'm still alive. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Oh, yeah. That's heartbreaking. That's absolutely heartbreaking. As, as Kart said, mm -hmm. it's yeah. It's, how did you yeah, process that emotionally? So I didn't think anything was wrong with it. After that conversation, I didn't think anything was wrong with it. I'm like, okay, it makes sense. She believes her religion's right. And she thinks she failed as a parent because I'm not being religious and I'm disappointing her. I was putting a lot of the blame on me. I'm disappointing her as a child. This is not how she raised me. I don't know why I keep doing this, everything like that. It wasn't until I spoke to, so I don't know if you remember, I said that I still had one friend from high school. So that friend, the reason why she stayed friends with me is her mother grew up not religious and actually became religious later in life. So her entire family is not religious mm. so she understands that people can be people and people can be good people even if they're not religious so when i told her that story i don't know a couple of months later she was shocked she was shook and she started crying and everything and i couldn't understand i'm like no but it makes sense because here i am just throwing away everything she taught me in her life and she's but you're alive and you're a good person and you're who you are at your core didn't change just because you no longer believe in that religion and that took like years for me to actually process but i think that's the main thing i think the way it works in these communities especially in the cults they equate human character and who a person is at their core with how religious they are 
So if a person isn't religious, like if a person isn't, how do I say it in English? Doesn't keep the Sabbath. They can't be a witness in somebody's marriage, somebody's anything because, or even when cooking food, because you can't trust them as a person. They aren't a good enough person to be a witness mm. for anything. So yeah, that's definitely, that definitely took some time to, I don't know Did, if I'm actually over it yet, but it took some time to process. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I, that, that mm -hmm. is super traumatic. Do you think that, and I see everyone's questions by the way, and we'll get to them. Thank you, Dee and others. When, when you were in, in this cult, did, was there a lot of talk about the world? Did you like when people said, people would say that's the world. Like in our, in, when I was growing up, we would, from the pulpit, or not growing up, sorry, when I was in the church, it was almost like the world believes this, but we believe this. And the world was seen as like this, these evil, this evil group of people who are not evil, but these, this lost, this yeah. dying. But you said before, I don't think I'm dead. My, probably my old church would consider us both dead in dead in sin. That's the idea. And they would talk about the world not having these answers. And it was very surprising to me when I discovered people who were more balanced, more put together, more happy, more go handling life better outside of the church than people who were in the church. So, did you have that like phraseology, the world, or did you just see everyone, or did you have a different word for everyone else? No. So yeah, it wasn't really necessarily the world, but it was anybody who wasn't like us was less than like on a lower level. Like and it depended, like we... Yeah, morals. Morally, they were on a lower oh, level. I said, I said muggles. Harry um, <laughs> kind of, yeah, kind yeah. of. I like the yeah. idea of wizards because they are, <laughs> Hasidic Judaism is based on mysticism and spirituality, yeah. so I guess that kind of goes. Um, but, Hasidic does Hasidic Judaism, do they wear funny hats as well? Yeah, like, they are, like, it's the furry hat. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, kind of like Yeah, that. exactly. It kind of goes like that. And they do some of this, I'm trying to think, they do some practices where, which people, I guess, would find a bit, a lot of practices, which people would find a bit strange. Like the order of cutting the nails, we can say, we can say, so, oh, so many other things I don't remember right now. But yeah. Polit politically incorrect did say the covering of mirrors sounds like witchcraft, and then they said not to be rude. <laughs> no so it's supposed to be during that time you're not supposed to you're supposed to focus on your morning so you're not supposed to be vain and look at your and worry about your appearance because you're not supposed to shower like i remember so my dad passed when i was in the eighth grade and i remember that entire week we weren't supposed to take showers and if we had to if we felt like we had to it had to be a cold shower and just rinse yourself and it was so grimy, but you're not supposed to worry about your appearance. It's the whole thing. It's, it's like you're, you're meant to be so heartbroken, is it, that, like, you couldn't even think yeah. about showering. And yeah, okay. That makes sense. Sorry, I'm trying to find some other... Oh, I meant to mention this before. So a lot of... When we were talking about the Sabbath, one of the huge things is you can't because you can't do anything. Remember, we're discussing loopholes off topic. Mm -hmm. We're discussing loopholes and stuff like that in the fishing wire. So yeah. you can't use electricity or anything like that on the Sabbath. But what you can mm -hmm. do is if let's say the light is closed or the AC is off, you can hint to someone not Jewish to do it for you. So like how it would work is we would invite somebody. That was the only time we spoke to somebody not Jewish when we needed their help. But we would invite someone into our house 
and casually make comments about how hot it is in our house and how we forgot to turn on the AC and we can't turn on the AC, whatever. And it led to an entire culture of just manipulation. And that's something also I had to take time to unlearn because yeah. the manipulation was really embedded in us because that's the only time we conversed with these people and we couldn't even directly ask them for anything. We we had to yeah. make it so they brought it up and it was as if it was their idea to help us. One of, one of my oldest and dearest friends, he comes over to my house all the time, Keegan, and he sits on the couch and goes, oh, oh my throat's so dry. <laughs> and he won't do that. He keeps doing that until I go get him a beer. And that's like, he, we both know it's a, a joke, but I just want to share the only photo you have of your yourself and your dad. This, is this the only photo you have of yourself at all? Probably yeah. So, so because I, when I left, I wasn't able to take anything with me. I didn't actually have any photos at all. However, my sister did make a slideshow in honor because I mentioned my father passed. So in honor of his memory and the only picture I have of just me and the parent is this one. It's just me and him and every other picture. I maybe have two other, three other pictures in that slideshow with me but they're always with someone else. And it's the only one I do have with just me and a parent. But yeah, it's definitely, that was one thing I didn't realize till later because when I left, I didn't even think to try to, I had 48 hours to leave. So I didn't even think about trying to take pictures with me. And now mm. as I'm older, as I'm out, I'm, I've been out for seven years. There are times when I'm feeling nostalgic, but there's nothing I can go back to because I don't have any pictures of my childhood, especially my dad passed. I have this one picture of him and this is when I was, looks like three, four years old. Mm -hmm. So I don't even have any thing of him as he was older, as I was older with him. Wow. It is a nice photo though. You guys look very happy together. And that was on Hanukkah. We were lighting the candles. Oh, that's so nice. So someone, Dee asked, Dee's become a regular around here. She's a cool person. She asked, do Hasidic Jews believe that a person is only considered a person once they are born or is that more mainstream? So it is part of, it's complicated. So they do believe that before a person is born, they're already destined to be with another soul. Like it's already decided who they'll marry. However, when it comes to the whole topic of abortion, the mother's life is always more important. So they're not supposed to, if the mother is ever injured or anything like that, I've heard some, some rabbis even say when it's the mother's mental health is at risk. They'll allow for abortions, not even when it's her physical health, but just when her mental health is at risk. So they do allow for abortions. However, they do believe that there is some level of, like in the womb, there's supposed to be an angel teaching you the Torah. And then when you're born, you lose all that memory. And then you have to choose to Convenient. learn the Torah again. Yeah. So... Yeah. It's, oh, I, <laughs> I drank like half the bottle. I still might drink more, 
but yeah, we're not going to mention that. We'll just pretend this isn't happening right now. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. Hey, I've had some very drunk episodes of Deep Drinks. Someone, someone else asked, why did Court ask? Why did she? Why did you have to leave after forty eight hours? What What would happen if you overstayed? That wasn't even a choice. My mom said pretty much. She said, "Leave tonight. Get out of here tonight." And I begged her, and I got the forty eight hours. But it wasn't like an option. I probably would have been left out on the street. She probably just would have, she ended up changing the locks anyway after I left, but she probably would have just changed the locks on me and not allowed me to stay at all. Yeah, like now I remember, so my younger sister is still in there and there is a lot of guilt that I feel about that because she's being raised in a cult. I went through a lot of trauma being raised in a cult. I know she's going through that trauma. And the fact that I'm unable to, I write her letters and stuff. And I know I've spoken, I've tried texting my mom, trying to ask her to give her those letters. I know she hasn't. So there is a lot of guilt about the fact that she's still in there. However, anytime I've tried to go there, my mom like has added security like she got a ring camera she changed the locks she did a whole thing so there's no way for me to go there once she had already kicked me out there was no way for me to go back in to there unless i would have become religious again that's always an option yeah Jeez. um yeah crazy so how does how does so sorry i just want to my my brain is getting affected a little bit by the alcohol, but I've also yes. got some questions I want to ask. I'm feeling so that too. You, you did actually mention that your sister before we went live. You did mention your sister. You were very you're very you're very conflicted about that. Have you ever felt like going back on just pretending like you don't know what you know and becoming religious again and diving back in there to see your sister? That must be so hard. Yeah. Yeah, so it's funny. A couple of days ago, I think it was earlier last week, I found a letter in my email that I had written to my mom after she had already mourned my death, but basically begging her to accept me for who I was and accept the fact that I'm still the same person who she raised, but I just believe in something else. And I did it on a live thinking it would be just a great conversation starter. And I ended up breaking down and I was ended up expressing, cause this is something I have been struggling with this idea that I do want to go back for her because I feel like I'm abandoning her in this. And I know, so I have a whole plan. If I would do it, I would go to my friend's house. Who's still that friend that I stayed close to. She lives near where my mom lives. I would go to her house. I'd go to synagogue. I'd pretend to be religious, all of that. But the thing is, I know towards the end, once I had already made the decision to leave and I stayed, there was a huge, how do I explain it? Before I decided to leave, I had no issues with the rules. However, once I had made the decision, I'm going to leave. There was a huge break and huge amount of cognitive dissonance where I felt like I was being controlled and suffocated by all of the rules. And I could not, it, my mental health really deteriorated. So I know if I logically know if I go back, my mental health is going to go back into a state of just a terrible place when right now I'm healthier than I've ever been. I'm happier. I feel free. I, 
am no longer being constrained by those rules. But then I also feel selfish because I'm allowing her to grow up in that being controlled and being told these things and also being told that I'm a terrible person and my older sister who left after me is a terrible person. I think about it and it's funny because the way it works is if you're religious, you're a good person. If you're not religious, you're not a good person. So we do have, say half, sorry, I forget, we're not on TikTok. Sexual abuse happens in every community. And it's usually covered up in extremist communities because they don't like admitting that they have flaws. So if someone is even known as a predator, it's covered up if they're religious. There's no issue. However, if someone leaves that isn't religious, they are seen as like this terrible influence. Your kids can't be around them, but there's no problem with kids being around known pedophiles. Can I say that on YouTube? Yeah, pedophiles, yeah. Okay, fine. Known pedophiles and known predators. There's no issue with that. Oh, I am feeling the margarita. I'm on my fourth cup. I should probably cool down. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to drink some water. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. I should have some water. But there's definitely a, I don't know if it's a double standard, if that's the correct word, but they do trust these predators because they are religious and they would not trust any children near me or my older sister who left a couple of years after me at all. It's yeah. It's the same thing. It's the same thing with, with the Catholic church. I think that what happens with the Catholic church is this is just my own theory, but I think that religious communities see themselves as higher, like higher up morally than the world, than the rest of civilization. So why would the Catholic church or why would the Hasidic Jewish communities or why would any community in inform the police or use the world system when they can help someone better than the world? So yeah, it's, um, that's how, right. that's how children and also, be. there's also like kind of idea of don't trust the outside because we don't trust the outside world. We also don't trust the outside law enforcement and like you have this idea that everything is embedded with anti-Semitism. So if a Jew goes to prison, it's going to be way worse than just a regular person off the street going to prison because they'll be abused more. Yeah. Yeah. There's what's the difference between like Judaism and for some of my friends and family might not know the difference between Judaism and Hasidic Judaism. What is the main difference? Do you have extra books or so the books are pretty much the same. However, there is this whole idea of Kabbalah, which is mysticism. And this kind of relies on, how do I say, a lot of spiritual practices are seen as rules. And there's also this concept. It's called Minha Kehalacha, which means that anytime any small rule is followed for three generations, it becomes a law, any small tradition. So like in our family, somebody somewhere had made the tradition that putting onions in eggs on the Sabbath, if we mash up eggs and we put some onions in there. There's a, just, the just Sabbath, quickly, there's, there's a little eggs. bit of a, there's a little bit of a noise. I think it might be your dog chewing something oh, hard. Give me one second, I'll get it. Okay. Yeah, one second. <laughs> no I do apologize for that. That's okay. It's just going up through the mic. It, it, I notice it's. I, I do apologize. I wonder if it's going to stop. Okay. Don't worry. 
Bring, bring yeah, him on camera if you want. That's something just quickly. You didn't have, you couldn't have a dog on. Uh, oh no! In, because you couldn't pat it or feed it or anything on the Sabbath, right? Yeah, you couldn't. So the feeding wasn't an issue, but you couldn't touch it. So you couldn't take it for a walk. We did have a rabbit. We were able to give the rabbit some food, but we couldn't touch it. So we couldn't pet it or anything like that. So the rabbit just stayed in its crate and the fish, we also had fish. They just stayed in their tank the entire Sabbath all the time. But the rabbit would stay in its crate the entire Sabbath. So with a dog, because you have to walk them every day, there's no way to have a dog because you can't touch them on the Sabbath. So there'd be no way to care for them on the Sabbath at all. And also, I don't know why it just wasn't accepted really to have pets. Like we were a strange family for having a rabbit, but it really wasn't accepted to have any pets besides for fish. Oh, wow. It must have been, I love dogs. Like we, we didn't have a dog growing up, but, oh, yeah. um, but I've, we got, we've got a beagle now and he's like a cheeky little um, fella. He's yeah. He's very cute. Yeah. My dog's so, a lab. He's adorable, but yeah. yeah. I saw him on your TikTok, which I actually will just quickly, <laughs> just for people who may not know, go check out Faye's TikTok. It's it's really, oh, it's going to ask me for this again. Faye's TikTok is filled with just answering question after question of, it's really awesome. And you've got like 26,000 followers now, which is really cool. So if you like this kind of content, you can go ask Faye whenever you want. I'm sure she'll love to answer. Also, you have a website. Can you tell us a little bit about yes. this website? Yeah, so I'm actually just creating it. I do have this idea that I do want to help people who have been in similar situations of cults or high demand religions and helping them learn how to function on the outside and learn how to leave. But this also goes into anybody whose family cuts them off for any reason. Like even if somebody comes out to their family and their family is religious and disowns them, it's how to function and to make sure that you don't repeat the pattern of getting into abusive situations. So I am creating, in the process of creating free pamphlets, I've already created four or three, I believe, but I do plan on finishing at least 10 in, within the next two weeks, and they should be available for free download on my website. But for now, if people want, they could just sign up with email and they'll be notified as soon as they're available and they could download them for free. And they're just informational pamphlets, how to differentiate a cult from a religious community, because there is a large difference, how to not, how to function on the outside world, how to safely leave, and a whole bunch of different issues with that. I'm sorry with the noise. <laughs> I'm just going <laughs> to there That's we it. go but yeah a whole bunch of different issues give me one second one second That's okay i'll also so everyone if you want to go check out Faye's website it'll be you'll be able to download those pamphlets soon and also sign up for a newsletter i'm pretty sure and next week on deep drinks we have the amazing jenna miyu who's become a good friend of mine and she told her family that she was an atheist and apparently shit hit the fan so we're going to be learning a little bit about that it was a very hard journey for her she's going to be telling her story and then the following week, of course, we have, which we had to push back because I had a beautiful baby boy, Atlas, who I will bring on the stream one day soon. He's just a little bit cry today, but we will be, we push back this episode with Michael Granado, who's going to be talking about his PhD subject. His, geez, what's it called? Brain not working because of alcohol. You have to do a, <laughs> like a, what is it like a, my gosh. 
the that looks like Albert Einstein. So. Yeah, it's Albert Einstein, but he's basically describing. He's basically for his PhD assignment. Oh my, it's not the right word, but I'm just I'm so drunk. <laughs> I haven't drunk all of dry January, so this is it's hit me differently. <laughs> but so we're going to be talking about the history of time. How did time? How did the ideas of time develop? There used to be this concept called like that they. they I can't even, I'm not even going to try and escape. Anyway, if you want to check that out, we're going to be learning a lot about that. That's going to be, that's going to be a fun episode. But yeah, so back with, back on your website, you'll have these pamphlets. Can people sign up now or do anything now? Um, yes. So in the contact sheet, if you just sign up and in the message, just write, let's, you'll yep. be updated as soon as the pamphlets. I already have a few of them done. So I don't mind even sharing those with people who sign up as they're getting done however they'll be available within the next two weeks so if anybody wants to sign up and you'll get a free download to these pamphlets and i find them from the people that i've spoken to and obviously i find them useful because i made them but from the people i've spoken to not only does it help people who have been in these kind of situations i find that it also helps people who have met someone in this situation because people who have been in cults or who have left high demand religions often have a form of PTSD where they only experience flashbacks and traumatic memories once they're safe because their mm. body blocks that out as it's happening. And then once they're in a safe place, they'll randomly experience these flashbacks and memories that they had stored away for so long. So it has, it definitely helps people with understanding that, especially if someone in their life has dealt with any kind of traumatic in incident, not only if it's leaving a cult or a group, but it's really mm. any traumatic incident. That, yeah. that is awesome. I wonder if like, you be, you should write a book. I think you could do really well at that <laughs> start with a pamphlet someone, but, um, yeah, someone but. keeps telling me that but i don't see i know other people find this fascinating but for me i just find it like strange i don't know i don't know that i could feel comfortable enough writing a book because i'm in my mind, it's, I don't know, I've met a couple of trolls on TikTok. So it's like some of those trolls have written books in order to like make themselves seem more real. And it's like them like writing a book. Like it's, it. I don't see it as being a real thing, but yeah, maybe one day, we'll see. Maybe one day if this ends up growing somewhere. Uh, I'm sure, I'm sure it will. I'm super interested in your story. Court also said religious trauma is so real as well as group, group Oh my gosh. Group Oh my gosh. Anyway. A type, of OCD a type of OCD centered around religious guilt and compulsion. Funny enough, I have a bit of experience with that. I, I went, I've got pure OCD and I went through a therapist to, to deal with that. And a lot of that, yeah, is around religion. He told me a story about a lot of religious people get OCD and what will happen is they'll walk into a church or, a, or something and they'll get really blasphemous thoughts, like really horrible thoughts. And they're told that they thought they think it's the devil. And so they push hard against these thoughts. And then they come back worse. And so you've got to actually almost deliberately think about the thoughts to get rid of it. It's, yeah, it's a whole thing. But I wanted to ask a little bit more about, I wanted to ask a little bit about your view of, I guess, knowing everything you know about Judaism and the Kabbal, did you call it Kabbalah or the, the Hasidic Judaism? How do you view yeah. Christianity? So like Christianity has like, actually... Christianity believes that they have the Messiah. And a lot of my, 
a lot of my Christian friends will say, can't you read the Bible in the Old Testament and see that Jesus was perfectly prophesied without any errors at all in the Old Testament? What would you say to someone that says that? So it's interesting because in Judaism, it actually doesn't say anything about there being like one Messiah. In Hasidic Judaism, they definitely believe that there will be one Messiah and they do have certain requirements, which Jesus they say that Jesus did not fulfill. However, when it comes to the prophecies in the Old Testament, all of them that I've heard from Christians have been way mistranslated and taken out of context. Like we were speaking about slightly before, the one in Isaiah that speaks about a virgin giving birth, the word in Hebrew says young girl. How it got translated to virgin along the road, I have no idea. But most of these Christians who are taking the Old Testament and using it as proof, as the fulfillment of the prophecies, they're not, they don't understand the language. So they're just completely taking these translations as facts when the translations are mistranslations of the word. There was another example I was thinking about, but I completely forgot it. There is one more thing, actually. I was having a debate with a Christian recently where she was comparing Jesus to the Lamb of God, and she was trying to bring a whole bunch of comparisons between the sacrifice over Passover that Jews do where they sacrifice the lamb and they use the blood on the door to Jesus's crucifixion. And it's interesting in a few ways. One, the reason why lambs were sacrificed was because they were in Egypt, lambs were worshiped as gods. So they sacrificed lambs to taunt the Egyptians. So it's funny that they're comparing Jesus to the lamb of God, to a lamb, when that was seen as an idol. So technically they're comparing it to him to an idol. But on the other side of that, the all of the reasons and comparisons that she was giving were just mistranslations of words that were used. And none of it made actual sense when I was translating the actual Hebrew to English, as opposed to using her translated versions. And that's what I find with a lot of Christians. Any, A lot of their arguments seem to be baseless once you actually translate it correctly. I've noticed that, I think you mentioned this before we went live, but it's also in Deborah Grace's book, Crucifying the Bible. She went from Christianity to a form of Hebrew roots movement and then became an atheist eventually. But she discovered that she lost, she stopped believing that Jesus was the Messiah when I think part of it was that prophecies are not supposed to take more than one or two generations to be fulfilled. So for Isaiah to prophesy something in the Old Testament, it's supposed to be fulfilled within a couple of generations. And that's the same with Daniel and the same with Revelations. And we talked, I talked about this on my other channel, Post Faith, YouTube, youtube.com slash at Post Faith. But I debated someone and I was talking to a Christian and I was saying that they said, what about the mark of the beast? What about, and I said, the mark of the beast is in Revelations is Nero. If you translate the numbers, it's Nero. And if you, tra- it's the 666 is Nero and Nero was persecuting Christians at the time. And mm-hmm. Jesus explicitly told his followers, I will return in your lifetime. Like you'll see the son of man. The people will not die. Prophecies were not supposed to happen. It doesn't take 2000 years for a prophecy to happen. Right. It failed. That's 
forbid one. Yeah, within the Old Testament prophecies, because you had to first test the prophet to see if they were real, and they had to make prophecies that happened at that time. And their job, it was like a job. So the Messiah, a lot of Jews believe, the ones who don't believe that there's being one Messiah, like Hasidic Jews believe that there's going to be one Messiah, will take us on the wings of an eagle to Israel, and then the third temple, which is being built in heaven, will come down in a fire, and a whole thing. However, most rational Jews believe that a Messiah is a job. It just means anointed. The word in Hebrew means anointed. So every generation until the end of the, when there were Jewish courts, had somebody who was anointed to help bring people closer to God. However, they also say that now there's also like one person in every generation that brings people closer to God. But other than that, like the whole Messiah thing seems to be more of a Christian belief. And honestly, a lot of Kabbalah, which is what Hasidic beliefs are based on, is based on more of Christian beliefs than mm. on Jewish belief. Which is why a lot of Jews also don't really like Hasidic Judaism because they do view it as a cult or a kind of close to Christianity, which mm. they don't agree with. Do is there I know that in the Old Testament there is no hell, or at least in the traditional perspective. Was there a heaven and hell esque in Hasidic Judaism? Yeah, yeah. So hell is called Gehenim and it's temporary. It's like a year. And then that's when a decision is made, what happens to you. So either you go to heaven after that year. Or you have to be reincarnated or, ooh, this is a complicated subject, but there's something called a dibuk, which is this spirit that can go into something. And let's say there's one story where it happened. Basically, there was uncovered water that a dibuk was in and a girl drank from it without saying a blessing. So then the Dybbuk was allowed in her body and it took over her body and it was like an evil spirit and it would talk and stuff like that. So there is that idea, I guess like possession, it would be similar mm -hmm. to in Christianity. Mm -hmm. So there is kind of that idea, but usually it's there's heaven and hell and the hell is only temporary and usually you're reincarnated. But the Dybbuk is, how do I explain it? When there's nothing really to do with you, you have the option of becoming a Dybbuk. It's a very off chance that you'll become a Dybbuk. Interesting. Is going back, just if anyone has any questions, we're going to get to the question and answers soon, just before we wrap up. But I did want to ask, what are some of, so you've left, so you leave this cult, you found a place in Brooklyn, you're living there, you're saving up money. What are some of the first experiences you had that were shocks to you? Oh God, my roommates didn't try to kill me when they found out I was Jewish. That was like <laughs> soccer to me. They didn't send you the, um, the Brooklyn were, Auschwitz? They were sweet. Yeah, yeah, like they didn't try to kill me. Like at that point, before my mom sat Shiva mourned my death, she would randomly leave cooked kosher food at my doorstep when she knew I was at work. So by the time she came home, there were, oh. I apologize for my dog. That's okay. You can let, I'm just, my heart breaking. That's so sweet of, of your mother to do that, even though she, it's like, you, you can tell she hates that what her religion is doing, but she can't stop it. You can take your dog out if you yeah. want. It's fine. I don't no, want to be 
it's fine. He's tired. He's just, he hears me talking and he becomes jealous because he's, it's really just me and him in the apartment. So whenever I talk to other people, he's jealous. Everybody who goes on my live knows I go out with him at least five, six times a night while I'm on live. I'll go on the elevator and stuff. So I have to figure out, I thought the puzzle that I made for him and put him, put in the freezer would keep him busy for three hours. It kept him busy for 30 minutes. People, so um, people are something out. people, you can bring him on stream. People are saying Papa wants mama love. Yeah. Um, pup, <laughs> okay. so you me, can go bring, give me one second because he's stuck in the okay. room. <laughs> okay. <laughs> poor, poor little doggo. Thank you everyone for coming out. Yeah, um, I do appreciate all the new faces that are here. It's really good to see you guys, to see so many different perspectives and to hear some different questions. It's really nice. I am reading them. I try to keep my focus on the guest, obviously, but it is nice to meet them as well. Okay. Um, I don't know if you hear him, but he's yeah. right here. He's there. Uh, cool. uh, but you'll see him in a minute. He'll come jumping on me in a second. He just went to go grab his toy that he forgot in my uh, bedroom. But so this is the thing. Yeah, that's what I meant to take away. Give me one second. The, <laughs> I apologize, but it's just the plastic. I don't want that making a bunch of sounds. Okay. So when it comes to, yeah, first experiences, one thing I did want to say, funny story just popped in my head. Again, it's not making complete sense because we're almost done with this whole bottle like that I bought. Oh my so gosh. Really How many standard bottle. drinks I, is in that? I don't want to, I don't want to say it's a lot. Okay. And okay. I drink a lot. <laughs> so I'm not making complete sense. So my mind is kind of all over the place because I do feel a little bit drunk. But what I did want to say was the first time that I, after I had gotten the iPod and I decided I was going to break the Sabbath, I went to the bathroom and we can't, you can't tear toilet paper on the Sabbath. So you have like tissues, like Kleenex tissues that you use on the Sabbath, but you can't tear. So I literally went to the bathroom and tore a piece of toilet paper and waited for like lightning to strike me. I'm and was just like, <laughs> yeah, like that was the biggest thing I could think of. Like it was, I was just, I tore that toilet. I was sitting like cross-legged with the toilet seat down, tore that toilet paper and just waited and nothing happened. And I was just like, that What's reminds, going on? <laughs> that reminds me of, of I, I mentioned before, Alyssa Whitbeck Alexander, the Mormon, her and her husband, they're like, we're going to be bad. We're going to drink coffee because coffee is not allowed in Mormonism at all. So they like put on costumes. They drove to another town. Oh, there's your papa. Look yeah, there he is. What's, what's the name? His name is Jasper. He is, oh, oh did you just try to drink my margarita? Go away. <laughs> <laughs> you just tried to drink from it. Yeah. And um, Sorry, what were you saying? Th- they would go to this other town and they would go in and they'll be like, they're wearing different costumes and they're like, they're trying to hide their face and they ask, do you have a cappuccino machine? And the person's like, yeah, can we have a cappuccino? And they're like, it was like a big thing for them. Like, I can't believe we're drinking coffee and stuff. And someone mentioned before that when you're talking about not looking like you're doing something wrong, they mentioned that some people will not drink hot chocolates out of because it looks like they're drinking coffee. So they don't want, yeah. Oh, I've heard about that in the Mormon community. Yeah. They yeah. won't do that. Yes. Yes. Definitely. What's it called again? It's interesting because that was so much more like when we were on road trips, we wouldn't stop at a McDonald's. We'd rather stop on the side of the road to go pee than go to a McDonald's. 
because it might look as if we were going in to a non-kosher place. Even if there were like no Jews around, it didn't matter. We cannot step into McDonald's. That was so many other things. Like there were just, you couldn't, oh, I do remember this. So my aunt would come, she lived in LA. And when she would come in, so aunts are a lot of hug nephews. However, when she would come in, she would not touch my brother or hug my brother because she didn't live in our area. So people wouldn't know that she was my aunt. Uh, so yeah. because of that disconnect, she wouldn't want to like ever touch any of the boys, which my mom did the same thing. She wouldn't hug any of her sons because of that idea of not allowing people to think that you might be doing something wrong wow yeah it's this i feel like we could keep going on forever i might i would love to have you on again if, if you were interested because this has been fascinating i have some questions though to wrap things up make sure everyone go subscribe to Faye, and you have a youtube channel that's linked down below that you'll start putting more debates on and TikTok. Yeah. links in the description yeah and of course i could be more on dive. top of actually downloading uploading things there but yeah, yeah i am trying to get more on top of it it's a different beast court asked if Faye would go back would her mom somehow take back the morning ritual so if you were to become religious again would you would she so i don't know what he means by the morning ritual oh the, like the oh the morning oh yeah, not yeah. morning morning yeah yeah <laughs> okay i don't know <laughs> sorry i told you i had a lot i don't <laughs> yeah. know if there's a way to take it back i don't think there is a way to take it back but I think if I would go back, she would accept me. It would probably take some time, but I think she would accept me and allow me to be around my sister. And that's the biggest thing. I know if I feel like I'm being selfish by not going back and not pretending for a couple of years because she's 11 years old now. So I just have to pretend until she's 16 and that's five years and that doesn't seem so far away so that's the biggest issue is i know she would take me back and allow me to see my sister if i pretended and can it's I, such can a I struggle you, to not go back can i ask you some questions about that do you feel comfortable mm -hmm. talking about that a little bit yeah if you if you had an older sister would you want them to come back for you so i do have an older sister she left because of me actually she that was so when I left, she was told not to contact me and by her rabbis and by everybody, unless she was actively trying to bring me back. Now, she originally asked me to learn Torah with her on the phone once a week. I said, no, she hates when I say this because she doesn't remember this, but she even offered me money to do it. I said, no, because I felt like I was being bought. And that was the first time though, that she went against her rabbis and she ended up we ended up having a great relate we now have a great relationship that was the first time she went against her rabbis and then later on she completely left so i'm trying to think if i was religious i think it would have been nice because it was nice with her when we were younger the fact that we would sneak out and buy these hannah montana dvds and we would do like certain things that weren't allowed it was nice to have someone and know that they understand. And the crazy part is like, she's being taught that I'm this terrible person that she can't have any contact with. And honestly, I think she would be better off if I would be in there 
But on the other hand, with the cognitive dissonance, I don't know if I would make it until she was 16 because it was so hard. Like my mental health really went down the drain when I was pretending. I don't know if I would make it until she was 16. I Yeah, I think what you're doing is on TikTok and YouTube, bringing awareness to the situation is a huge... I think your sister will grow up and hopefully be able to see this kind of stuff in the future and see that you've cared this whole time. It's a horrible situation. It really is. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I'm hoping that she'll see that I'm trying to like do things for her. I also do write letters to her every month and I take pictures of it. So hopefully when she's older, I can show her that I take pictures of it and I've tried uh... getting in contact with her. But it is sad and it's really sad that, so when that friend that I have in high school who lives in the area, her grandmother passed recently. So her mom was mourning and sitting Shiva. And I was, I came there, I went there as much as I can because it is a couple of hours away. And one night when I was there, my sister came to visit and she felt very uncomfortable even giving me a hug and talking to me. And I could feel that she, it was like, she was afraid of me. Mm -hmm. And that is, can tell that that's what she's being taught, that I'm trying to take her away from the family and from the religion. And that's my only purpose in having a relationship with her is to take her away. So it is sad. Do you think there's like some form of a sunk cost fallacy where someone like in your mother's case, where your mother has invested so much, she's given up essentially her daughters for her religion. And now as a result, mm -hmm. it's almost emotionally impossible for her to question her beliefs because she's put so much into up upholding them. Do you think there's some of that going on? There probably is. I think one thing we used to joke about was the fact that when I went to Israel, she became more religious. And I think when she knew I was questioning things, she went overboard to prove that it's the one way, the one way, the only true way. I'm really trying not to slur words right here but the only way to live and everything else will lead you to hell. She went overboard once she knew that I was trying, that I was debating whether I should leave or not. Yeah, I think I... there definitely is that like idea that she invested too much in it and she can't let go at this point. Is it true that some, so Dee asks, is it true that some kids finish school without the ability to speak fluent English because all instructions are in Yiddish? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I've learned English at home just because my mom, she married into it. So she spoke English and her entire family spoke English. So I spoke English mostly at home, but I do remember when <laughs> this was funny, the rabbi of our synagogue, his wife came over the Reviton. She came over and her son was 19 and getting a passport and he didn't know how to sign his name in English. So he had, she asked us to teach him how to sign his name in English because he didn't know how to do that. And that was not even reading. He she, she wasn't trying to teach him how to read, just how to simply sign his name. And this is in New York. This is in like... In New York, in Brooklyn, New York. Not even upstate, anything like that. This yeah. is in Brooklyn, New York. It's 
any but anybody who lives in Brooklyn, especially Bar Park area, knows that this is a huge community or Williamsburg. This is a huge community that definitely exists and they have their own everything. Ooh, not the purpose of you. Sorry, I'm trying to move my Jasper's trying to get lit as well. Oh yeah, you're drunk. I'll be drunk too. We'll have fun together. When you learned about sex and your sexual orientation, was that is that something that your mom knows about like you're that you're queer or and when you say queer is that bisex bisexual yeah I'm pansexual so for me it's like the person that matters more than what's mm, in their pants mm. or what gender they identify as but no she does not know and I can't I even imagine dated, you trying to explain that to the no trying to no explain, and like I was yeah. in a yeah I was in a serious relationship with a trans person and whatever like no, she would not. At this point, after that first relationship, she doesn't know anyone I've dated because she already cut me out at that point. But I can't see like me being queer is just adding a layer to, oh, that's yeah. why she left because yeah, she yeah. has these crazy uh, needs. And yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's so not. frustrating. People go hunting for reasons why people leave. I remember Dr. Josh, his Dr. Josh, you should get on Twitter, by the way. There's a lot of great arguments happening there and it's really good to be stuck. It's amazing. But on Twitter, Dr. Josh, he's become a good friend of mine and he's queer. And he said, and he, some pastor made up this story that, that his wife that he's had kids with is trans. And the reason he left his religion, like he's got, He's a, he's a doctor of Assyriology. He speaks, he, he can read and write and speak Hebrew. He translates the Old Testament. He's got, he's, he's specialized in the Old Testament. He's an author. And the reason he left was because of his scholarship, uh, left his religion. But he, this pastor said, no, he must have left his scholarship because his wife is trans and he's gay and he wanted to live the gay lifestyle. And it's just like baseless, absolutely baseless assumptions. Not either, and also not that there's anything there's not anything wrong with being mm -hmm. trans or gay or anything and even megan his wife said if josh was gay i'd support him like go be gay then like um megan is an amazing that's, person but that's so the weird. thing when, when somebody has like either traumatic experiences or different sexual identities or anything like that religious people don't understand <laughs> that somebody would want to leave for logical reasons or yeah. for the fact that this religion itself at its core does not make sense to them and they can't understand that so they try to cling on to these small things about that person person where it's like they can prove they left because of emotional reasons they left because of they have these strange attractions they left because they're angry or something like that so that it mm. invalidates the entire experience that person I, um, sorry i feel like i'm completely wasted sorry no that's that's what we do here on deep drinks everyone subscribe <laughs> it's for a good time i actually said on twitter sometimes it feels like i'm surrounded by people in the middle of a role-playing fantasy game and i'm just trying to get them to be serious for a moment it's they're like oh <laughs> muhammad split the moon in two and, and jesus is coming back and actually there are spirits called jinns and it's like just guys can we just be for real for a second yeah like, you can't is... cook toast on the sabbath like just can we just like let's be <laughs> yeah there's one person who has like this who comes on all the time and talks about their santa religion how santa is real and everybody should follow them in order to get into heaven you have to be on santa's good list and stuff like that and i think it's hilarious and like recently maybe it was like two months ago 
somebody was trying to scare me with Ragnarok and the end of the world and stuff like that. And so like, I'm very proud of this example I came up with, which is I have a book that prophesies that the all waters around the world will be polluted with plastic. And when that happens, fish will learn to walk on land again and it will be the end of humankind. And we see that prophecy being fulfilled. Plastic is filling the oceans. It's a problem. Wildlife is being destroyed and stuff like that. So are you, because you see these prophecies being fulfilled, are you going to now go out and dedicate your entire life to cleaning the ocean and to doing the things that I've written in this book? And then they drop whenever I bring up that example, which is so exciting because I love it. I think it's a great one. Yeah, it's amazing. So I have a question for you that I ask everyone at the end of Deep Drinks. I ask, ask mm -hmm. a few different questions. So you're not religious. Are you religious at all anymore? No, I'm agnostic. With me finding out that there was over 4,000 religions, I can't logically pick one and say this is right, everything else is wrong. But I do have a sense that there might be a higher power out there. I can't rule anything mm. out. A side note, on my other channel, youtube.com at postfaith, I'll drop it in the description, but I there was one time I wanted to do something just silly and I spent, what was it? It was like four hours reading out the name of every single god on this website. And it was just like, I'd read out the name of the God and it was just like took four and a half hours. It was amazing. Amazingly boring. Wow. Um, but yeah, I, I, can't, see I that. can't believe I did that. <laughs> so what, so if you don't believe in religion, this could work if you do have a religion, but what is the most plausibly true religion that you don't believe in? That's a good question. I've never thought about that. I think, I don't know. That's a good question. Take your time. Take your time. <laughs> I don't know that any one religion is true, but if I had to pick one, I'd probably go closer to Buddhism or something that it's more about what you do in this lifetime and it affects, like there's no one God controlling everything. To me, that doesn't make sense that there's mm. one God that actually gives a, sh a rat's but shit. behind <laughs> about shit. everything going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but it's go. funny. So many people choose Buddhism. And it's, I've had, I interview everyone on here. I interview Christians as well. And they say Buddhism as well, which is really interesting. Yeah, because not relying on the fact of like this one all-powerful God or anything like that. A lot of it is karma, which seems to be very an experience that a lot of people have in this world. Yeah, there's, I've heard this, I saw this TikTok or YouTube or something. It was actually really profound. I wish I could find it again. But they made this argument that essentially there are two religions. There is one religion where you look up and one religion where you look in. And Christianity, Islam, oh. Judaism is like about looking to this bigger God and submitting to this bigger God and doing the things that this God wants you to do. And as a result, you become a better person or you get through this life. And there are the Eastern gods, which are about looking inwardly and focusing your attention inwardly. And then through still through mysticism and gods and all that stuff. And as a result, you shed that karma and you ground yourself that way. You become a better person that way. So the two different perspectives of the same, the two different approaches to ritual and religion and philosophy and th those kind of concepts. And I really like that idea. What are you most thankful? Right, I do like that. I've never heard that before. My sister, the fact that, so it's interesting. We were not close before she left. She, I found out after she had said that 
she felt like I was this person, the shell of a person who was not being honest. And like, she didn't actually know who I was. And it's funny, we were closer in our childhood. And then I guess once I made the decision at, to leave, we grew apart. And I didn't mm -hmm. know why. I thought, okay, this is just happening because we're older. And then the fact that she disobeyed the rabbis and kept a relationship with me once I had left was shocking to me. And to me, that's the biggest thing because it was unheard of to do that. The fact she went to three different rabbis and they all told her the same thing, not to have a relationship with me. And it was unheard of the fact, oh, I'm going to start crying. The fact that she did that. And it means a lot to me that she chose me over the thing that we were brought up with something like which would bring her to god and give her this happiness in her life and the fact that she chose me over it was just like yeah so i'm really mm. thankful i still have her and the fact that she also left no that's awesome she has her own tiktok that she's trying to kick off as well yeah yeah and this is the last question what advice would you give to someone who wants to leave their cult but are scared of losing their family I think the biggest thing is understanding that you will lose your family. And that's my dog again. Woo! I apologize. Um, that's okay. He got the piece of plastic that I didn't want him to get. Um, I think the biggest thing is understanding the fact that you will lose your family. Mm -hmm. And that's, sorry. Can I, I'm just going to take that piece of plastic yeah, yeah. away so we're not hearing that crunching sound. Yeah. There we go. Okay, so I think the biggest idea is understanding that you will lose your family and the fact that your life is more important than that. And if you end up staying in that religion, you're going to lose not only yourself, but if you are forced to get married, you're going to lose children. I completely, this is what happens when you drink. Faith. You're going to completely lose yourself and lose your children too. And you're going to keep the extreme as generations go on, each generation becomes more and more extreme and worse. I apologize and worse. So yeah, that's definitely something I would give advice that understand that this is something you will lose, but you'll be alive and you'll be free. And that's the biggest mm. thing, I think. Wow. Okay. That was really powerful. Faye, we'll end it there, but thank you so much for coming yeah. on. It's been an absolute <laughs> pleasure. I'll play the outro. You can stick around and we can chat afterwards. So don't feel like you have to leave, but I did want to say thank you for coming out. Make sure everyone go check out your website and go check out your TikTok and YouTube and, and all that good stuff. And I'll see everyone next week for Jenna that who is a black female atheist her episode which is going to be a doozy and she telling her story about when she told her family finally thank you so much everyone for coming out and thank you for all the new people who have decided to subscribe i love you all see you later